Ah, when the post-game podcast ends, the post-pod podcast begins, circling up with you, the Brooklyn Nets fans, about the most recent game and also higher-level topics, such as tonight, is it time for Jock Vaughn to go as the Brooklyn Nets head coach? We dive in, coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. He's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day, free on all those great platforms. And Doug, we dive in on the conversation. As we say, Brooklyn comes back from Paris or will be coming back from Paris, fresh off a loss to the Cavs. They're trending towards the trade deadline. They're trending towards falling out of the play-in tournament. Is it finally time when you look at this roster? I think we actually should frame it this way. When you look at this roster and the personnel on it, do you believe that Jacques Vaughn is a hindrance to maximizing the talent currently on this roster? A hindrance? Um, I don't know if he's a hindrance, but I don't think he's helping. I think it's just like the very definition of like neutral, right? I think there's probably some things that he does well. I think he's like a pretty cerebral guy. I think people like him. I think he's a calm influence. I think those things are pretty important, probably. Um, in terms of like scheming and like we have said multiple times, like floor raising, right? Like getting the most out of guys. I, it's very clear that that's just not happening, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's just it's very clear. I, it's there's they're not like X's and Oing anybody out of the building at all, and it does look. I'm increasingly concerned. Like the effort is low. Like we talked about this with Eric Slater yesterday. That the effort just doesn't look. Great. I mean, they've lost a ton of games. Like they, they're, they are not an extremely talented team. They have enough talent to not have lost this many games, right? Yeah. Like this is like this is really problematic. And so, I mean, like this is like trending. I mean, it's not trending toward Pistons territory, but it's it's been so bad here. And and you can't fire the players, and maybe you should fire the coach. I don't really know, but it's. I think if he let me put it, I'll, I'll finish this thought off with this. If I think if he did not have a three-year contract, he would already be gone. Mm -hmm. Like I think that I, I I do think that's probably pretty clear. I do wonder if the team is very hesitant to move on so quickly from another guy. Yeah. And that is probably more than anything saving the gig right now. And it's the part of it that's hard for me because I guess the reason why I framed it that way is to go back to the start of the season and say, hey, this is a team that won a lot in their bench margins. And so those performances obviously matter. But you get this idea. Remember, we talked about the over-under coming in the season. I mean, listen, it looks like they're going to fall a little bit short of my optimism. But but the bottom line being, we still said, are they better than the 37 and a half over-under that was set to start the year? Yeah, we believe so. Now, Ben Simmons, big factor, sure. It's not that's not nothing to lose him out of whatever your process was going to be this season. But they were successful without Ben Simmons. They were winning basketball games without him. It just doesn't seem like Jock Vaughn has that ability or willingness to make changes to to get to the combinations that could maybe benefit these players individually more. Now, th there's certain restrictions. You don't have as much ball handling as you probably need on this team, right? You, you don't have certain player archetypes to help accentuate. But at some point, I do have a hard time looking at these players, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, like Royce O'Neal, Cam Thomas, like all these guys in totality and go, well, I think they're better than this. Like they're better than the last 15 games. Maybe I'm wrong, 
But that does end up going up to me, back up the chain of command to Jock Vaughn and saying, the talent level is better than this, and you're not getting results for whatever reasons that may be. Right. Like, okay. So, like, firing Jock Vaughn wouldn't put a point guard on the team. Exactly. Right. Like, the team's, right. De- the team's desperate right. for a point guard right now. And for, like, even like above average point guard, av- average point guard play. And so, firing Vaughn. Whoever coached next would be get would be dealt the same roster problem, which is they don't really have a point guard. It's like tough to it's getting harder and harder to t- trust in Witty. And after him, there's legit like not any point guards on the team. Like there'd be guys that could dribble the ball up the court, but they're not they're not point guards by any stretch of the imagination. So they were relying on that on probably too much on Simmons on that. That's been, you know, a disaster's disaster. Yeah. And Dinwiddie, if he's just starting to tail off here, they don't they legit I mean hundred percent don't have another guy. They have other kind of guys like Dennis Smith Jr., but he's not really a traditional archetype. Cam Thomas definitely isn't. And after that, they just don't have that guy. And so you would still be having some of the same roster issues for sure. Maybe another coach could get more out of the guys. I'm not really positive about that. It stands to reason that someone else could. But yeah, they they have other problems. Like, it's not yeah. just this. This is not clearly not the only problem. And I actually do wonder if that's – now that I said that this part, I do wonder if that's the other thing that's saving the, the gig. It's like we would be setting the next person up to fail too, <laughs> right? Like right, whoever right, got right, hired. Yeah, we, we don't want to move on from another coach again, but the next coach, we're going to move on from him too because the roster just is not – Exactly, and I wonder if that's keeping him in place as much as anything else too. It's like – well, what am I going to do? Promote the next guy, like Kevin Ollie, Ryan Burrell. Those guys are going to be having the same problems. Maybe they get slightly better, right? Um, but they're still going to be dealt the same core issues that the Nets have, which is they have a really, they have no superstar talent, anything close, and they have a, a weird combination of guys that aren't all complementary. And it's and, and point guard being one of them, but there's other examples. And we talked about this before, but it's kind of why I feel like Jock Vaughn and and the Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, let's call it era of the Brooklyn Nets. It feels like they're tied together because because to to move on to your point, it's like to move on from Jock Vaughn would be to say, well, someone else is going to do better, but it's probably going to look similar because the roster is the same to not move on from Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson is to say, well, we got these guys in the Kevin Durant trade. We can't part with them, but we don't want to spend the draft capital to bring in another player to elevate the quality of their game, like all this stuff gets lumped together and it goes, this is what it is. And if you look at contracts and where things line up, you go, maybe that's just the timeline that Brooklyn is willing to ride here, where whatever the results are going to be for better or worse, we're not going to put it on to the next generation of players or put it on to the next version of our coaching staff, which is a little bit interesting if you think about what Brooklyn is or is not going to do when it comes to the deadline. We can get to that a little bit more here in just one second. We'll also take a look at some of your questions, obviously, as some people uh, they are enjoying. They're enjoying the discussion around Jock Vaughn here, Doug. We'll get back into that in just one second. All right, one more reminder about our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks Daily Fantasy made so easy. All you're doing on Prize Picks, you're going over there, you're going more or less on the Prize Picks projections. You're not going against sharks in the water. You're not going against these people that are putting a million lineups. No, it's just you versus the Prize Picks projections for the NBA points, rebounds, blocks, steals, assists, NFL, you know, rushing yards, receiving yards, catches, it's all touchdowns, everything, everything you love about fantasy with the numbers. Prize picks put it all there for you, made it really easy to pick your players, go more or less on their projections, went up to 25 times your money as well. All you have to do right now is go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code locked on NBA, grab a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Code locked on NBA. 
First deposit match up to $100. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. All right. So as we continue the post pod pod, I will just quickly throw up this one here. Anybody at Locked On Nets? I just enjoy this. I think that, you know, John comes in, frequent flyer. It's like watching a low budget, watching Doug and Adam criticize the coaching squad is like a fun low budget film. Keep well, it going. Can I, I, I want to say, can I say one thing about that? I am often the slowest and sometimes not good. And sometimes I think correctly to criticize coaching mm. because I think that the things that people often criticize coaching is wrong. Like the, 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 um, I, this is not what Jonathan's saying. I'm Bad process, good result up. though. When we talk about how people criticize maybe a coach early when in reality, okay, well, so put it this way. Coaches will almost always get blamed for a loss and right. never get never get credited with a win. Okay, so that's like where it starts. Also, people just choose like sort of the most myopic things. Like he'd called a timeout in the wrong place. Like that's just not a reflection of coaching. Sorry, right. it's just not. It's or it's so low on the list as to be sort of laughable to me if like that's what you're evaluating. But it highlights that people often don't know what to evaluate when they look at coaching, right? So like they don't know. They don't. They just don't know. And so this is not Jock Vaughn related. It's just coaching related. Like you don't know, you know who's. Because every coaching staff has someone in charge of the offense, someone in charge of the defense, right? Like assistant right. coaches, they have assistant coaches that work specifically with players, right? Like, you know, they get sectioned off by the development coaches, work with certain, like every staff has guys that work with players, right? And it's like, and it's very segmented. Like there's a, this is a, there's a whole structure. There's so many things going on uh, in terms of coaching that often I think people are too quick to call for a coach's head without a full understanding of what's happening. Now that but me viewing it that way will always make me late to the a coach should be let go to thing. Right. And maybe right. we are past that point now. But I'm just saying for my own thing, like I'm never going to be, oh, he didn't call a timeout, fire him. Because like that's a, you should never like that's a very silly statement. Now, I do think we have a body of work here that is pointing that direction. But I guess I'm just pointing to my own my own internal thing. Like I just don't I just people I, I think the, the the average NBA fan significantly to criminally underrates what goes into coaching to the point where they have no idea. You would walk in there, you'd be lost, lost. Like you'd have no idea what's going on there. And I often think that I often think the people, this is going to sound bad. The people that criticize the want the coach fired the fastest often know the least. <laughs> like that's I mean, just my, I that's my that opinion. Maybe that, maybe that hits people the wrong way. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I was about to be the joke. Do I think I could coach a couple NBA games? Listen, I have a few ideas about what would work or not work. Yeah, of course. Stand right? there. You can the stand there. The responsibilities, the actions, the off-ball, you know, the off-ball decisions that are getting made on the court. Those are things that even after wa watching every single game, every single year for five-plus seasons, there's still times when, when we go back and you re-watch plays time and again to pick up on everything that's occurring there. So sometimes it can be a little bit easy. I, I'll even – I'll piggyback off of that around something else. And I wonder if you would agree about this as well in terms of the Brooklyn Nets. You say about, you know, when it's time to move on from Jock Vaughn. Okay. But I also wonder if, like, I, I have of late, even though I like almost all of these players individually, of late, I've become more and more of the mind that when we talk about the deadline or talk about this team this season, at what point are we going to say, will we be late to the party about the Brooklyn Nets should be trading Mikhail Bridges, should be trading Cameron Johnson, should be getting all the draft capital they can, and just understanding what it is? Because this, we're not going to do the rebuild. We want to be competitive. We want to make the playoffs. Well, guess what? We're watching that. We're watching that goal slip away here. So once you get to the point where the reason you have this version of this team 
is to accomplish goal X and Y and Z, and you're not going to hit any of those marks most likely, then you have to pivot into how do we maximize value? We talk about these bench players, Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal, and maximizing their value in the trade, and they're probably diminished a little bit. There's a world where you are overexposing what some of the deficiencies are in Cam Johnson's game, in Mikhail Bridges' game. I'm not saying it's ever going to dumpster their value, but they're not going to be worth, I don't think Mikhail Bridges will ever be worth the four first-round picks that were rumored to be offered from Memphis a year ago at the deadline. Doesn't mean I was a component of trading him at that time. I wasn't. But now as we move forward, what is it going to look like another year now, another two years from now? If they're not going to win basketball games, I do think you have to approach the team overall in a different way. Like You have, you have to approach the value of these players far differently if they're going to be a 10-game 10 10 uh, under 500 team. Excuse me. Yeah, my guess is something like they see they probably understand that with Bridges and they're hoping that he could be like the second or third best player in a team once they're able to acquire other guys like sure. Donovan Mitchell. I'm just saying the names here, but like Donovan right. Mitchell or if like a real superstar sprung loose and they were able to kind of put something together for that guy, right? Like I think they probably see him cuz like I I I would still only advocate trading Bridges for like back for the Houston picks and nowhere else cuz I do think like he fits He's probably overexposed as a number one, but I'd be I'd love for him to be the two or three still, right? Like, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, yeah, like in, in terms of pecking right. order, not yeah. not not position. Um, but in terms of like being early on selling off the rest of the pieces, I'm all for that. We we've been early on that one. Yeah. We've said like we just said it two minutes ago about trading these guys now because they just have to be restocking too. And if they're just going to be bad anyway, at that point, the, the Houston picks are the Houston picks. You have to live with it, and they have to get the money. Again, they're still in a tough place here because the Simmons contract is still remains of an absolute just disaster, and it's forty two millions of zero basketball. But so they're still not like they can't do the old thing after the Boston debacle where they took on all this bad money and, and got assets attached. Right? It's like you take on Mozgov, you take on D'Lo, like you get, and you get you get stuff attached to it. And you kind of rebuild that way. They can't do that now because the Simmons contract is the bad money. They already have the bad money. Right? We're, They've already, already taken the bad money. Just we did it in the wrong order. We've got the bad exactly. money. Early. Right. They took it on. They took it on. He's been the worst contract in basketball. Um, so anyway, and actually, I want to throw up a comment here real yeah. quick um, about just going back to Vaughn because it highlights the thing I just said. Is um He said, even if you fired Vaughn, JV, who do we even get? No coaches are available. So this is a good point too, right? It's like if you fire a midseason – I'm actually mostly attached to the thing we talked about earlier, which is you don't fire him because you're setting the next person up to not to just do the same bad job. <laughs> right. And so I do wonder if this is it too. Like, even if you had identified Kevin Ollie, let's say I'm making this name up, but I mean, I'm not making him. He's on the staff, but let's say you identified Ollie as like the next coach, right? There's no chance you would ever put him in the position now because he's just going to lose too. Right. Like they don't right, have enough right, talent. You right. wait and bide your time and maybe have Vaughn play the string out here. He ends up looking bad because of it, but it's even worse to hire a new coach to look bad also because the talent isn't there. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and whoever it is. And now the Atlanta Hawks did this, uh, you know, in the mid season and gave Quinn Schneider an opportunity to come in and assess and reevaluate and decide where you want to go from there. But, but just to this comment, but he was, too, but he was there. Like he, the, the, I'll be, the one different, sorry to interrupt you, but like yeah. that guy, the Snyder type is actually not out there right now. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, he, he was available to be, brought he was in, available 100%. him Vogel. Like some of these guys were out there as like, because they had taken gap years, but who's out there now? Like doc rivers. I don't think you, you don't want to do that. And like, and he's not going to, he wouldn't take this gig anyway, but I'm just pointing out guys yeah. that are in the coaching carousel 
those guys really, unless I'm just missing somebody, I, I don't think that type of guy is sitting out there right now. No, I, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe I could go scrape and find find coaches you would think about, or even and even the idea. I think it's too say <laughs> it's even worse to say it this way. Say the Brooklyn Nets, as you said, believe in Kevin Ollie in the grand scheme of things, right? Or or Burrell, they believe in him in the grand scheme of things. I don't want to give him half a bad year because then you create the same perception wheel that's going on with Jock Vaughn right now. Well, if he's not the guy, you got to move on from him. So you may actually undercut any coaching value that you have internally by putting them there as well, as you're saying, setting them up for, for failure too. The only thing I'll just tie back into on the, on the Bridges thing, again, I want to be very clear. I like these players. I'm happy to have them here. I'll be happy if they stayed here. I have, though, changed my mind about, about pick value. Houston is not the only trade that I would make. If a team wants to give me three first-round picks and maybe a young player, et cetera, for Mikhail Bridges, I at least am having that conversation. I'm at least thinking about it internally. What does that mean for us? If you, Because, by the way, the trickle-down effect there is, then obviously you have discussions about Cameron Johnson. Does somebody want to give us value for him? If you turned around after this deadline, and we'll do a deeper dive on this stuff as we get closer, if you turned around, though, and said, in addition to all the Phoenix picks, in addition to all the Dallas picks and some things from 76ers, we brought in another six first round picks from various teams and trades and moves. I, I think you have to be open to that just because it means keep firing shots, keep taking your chances, and you still have capital to go get that superstar because the difference here is while Mikhail might be the perfect two or three, as you said, in the pecking order behind a superstar, you also can find other guys that can be really good twos and threes in a pecking order. The thing you can't just go find with ease is the superstar. So you can always go trade for the superstar and then you can find the pieces that make sense around them. I think that that has to at least be a viable option or should be. I don't think that it is for Brooklyn, but I'm open. Yeah, to just yeah. I'll do like a mini, a half pushback on that too. It's just that like, so like, let's say you traded bridges to like OKC, right? Let's say OKC has got all these picks, like a 5,000 picks. I don't think this is going to happen, but let's sure. just say, right. You trade OKC uh, bridges and they give you like a ton of picks. Mm -hmm. If they're their picks, those picks are going to be second rounders from now till infinity, right? Because that team's going to be good forever. They're young. And so you're basically just trading for a bunch of very, very late first rounders. This is why I I'm still, I'm going to, this is my new cause is advocating renaming these, these picks into what they actually yeah, are. They all get, this is my new, this is my new crusade. My new crusade is renaming picks into the actual thing. They all get first called round first pick? rounders. Not so first round pick. <laughs> it's a lot. It's lottery projected yeah. or, or end of end of first round. Like we have to start labeling them because when you say, Hey, they got 25 first round, you know, 10 first round picks from OKC. Great. That's going to be pick 30 every year, <laughs> right? Like it's just because they're going to be great every year from now till like the picks run out. If it's, if we traded for Charlotte's first round picks, but I mean, they're not going to do that, but, I'm going to think differently about that because that team could stink forever. And so, you know what I mean? I just like calling them first round picks is a, is a misnomer to me. By the way, I don't know what this uh, was, this comment was about, uh, but I agree. Yeah. Right. All, all I know so for great. sure is he must be hundred percent. Right. Um, <laughs> well, and, and see, and, and the, my other, I guess my other, when I think about being willing to trade any of these guys for any number of picks with, with a clear, obviously threshold, right? We're not talking about hey, a first round pick for, for Mikhail Bridges. Thanks so much. But being open to those opportunities is because maybe it's because I live on either end of the spectrum now. Either start to think about trading these guys for reasonable packages, first round picks, and set yourself up to take a lot of shots, or go get whoever the superstar is, whatever the player is. Like I, we we talked about Donovan Mitchell. He's not necessarily the right guy. Doesn't make you a contender. I don't know. Then go trade for him though, because not trading for him and keeping these picks, but also not trading Mikael Bridges and having a team that's losing a ton of basketball games and looks like 
in the short term over the next couple of years is going to be a 500 or substantially below type of roster. What are we doing? Like the idea of like, ah, well, you don't control your own pick, so you don't want to end up being dumpstered. And they're doing it. It's already happening. They're just yeah. doing it in a different way where the, the product on the, the players on the court by name recognition and, and in theory by talent level make you think, well, this isn't a rebuild. It is a rebuild. They're just trying to give you something that's like a little bit engaging while they're doing the rebuild, right? So I understand that that can be like the process from a pure business standpoint. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, I would advocate that if you're the Brooklyn Nets, it's okay. We all get the ruse here. You can just do the full thing and you'll probably be appreciated for it more in the short term than selling this bill of goods. Because I th- again, we said this time and time again, they're not going to do the thing one way or the other. They're not going to satisfy any part of the fan base when it comes to the deadline. They're going to do the exact wrong thing. Maybe trade Royce O'Neal, still keep Dorian Finney-Smith, and just end up with this weird roster for the back half of the season. It's going to be a mess. All right, a couple more things. Uh, Al Mack here, frequent flyer, said that, uh, Memphis picks weren't valuable, but anything can happen. I agree with this. I, like, I, I agree. Like, anything can know. happen. Right. You know, like, you know, a meteor could hit Houston and we get all the picks back because, you know, like the, you know, the team blew up. I, I'm talking probabilistically, like, because you have to evaluate the probability. Every organization has, I'm sure, like, they have this in the NFL. So I'm sure that NBA teams have this also, which is just like a value chart based on, trying to evaluate what picks are actually going to be worth later. Like they understand organizational, who are their talent, where are they projected to be in five years? Who do they have under contracts? Like how, you know, how likely is it who their coach is? Like they have some way to evaluate. Now, sometimes you can have, you know, a guy gets suspended for 25 games and then Tara's labor him. And then Marcus smart, like gets his finger cut off or whatever. And like, all of a sudden the season's over. That can happen. It's, it's extremely unlikely though. It's, it's It's more of my point, right? It's like, it can happen. It's unlikely. So I, I guess mostly just like trying to say probabilistically um, you want well, to, which I think is good to bring up. Actually, hit the, we can hit this one too from, from John claude Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the, the next comment was you're firing Vaughn to get some of the young guys, the opportunities you've been asking for firing Vaughn will expedite the changes you've been wondering about. I agree with this, except that this, if this is what they want to do, they should just organizationally have an edict to say, go play the young guys. <laughs> like right, just Vaughn tell Vaughn preventing you from this. If that's exactly that's like, if this is what you want to do as an organization, it actually shouldn't take, firing the coach to do that so which is why i secretly don't think this is what the nets want to do or intend to do because i don't oh, think i don't vaughn, I, agree. I don't think I, vaughn is the guy standing between sean marks and the organization and what they want to accomplish it just i, think, it just, I think there's probably some disagreements around some rotations sure. would be my strong suspicion right but in terms of like if the guy if they wanted the guys playing the guys would play or right. at least be there like I, so i don't think it's all that um and i don't think you should have to you're a bad organization if you should have to fire the coach because he's not doing it but like it's like, I mean, the Clowney and those guys weren't even with the team. I, they're on the two-way, so if they're not even with the team, like, that's not a coaching thing. The coach doesn't move the guys, shuttle the guys back and forth to the G League. That's the GM and the, the, the assistant GMs do that. Right, so right. It's, it's, 100%. that's not a coaching thing. I, I will, um, as you pull up any other ones before we start to wrap ourselves up here uh, on a, it's a Thursday, Thursday evening. I will um, just on the you're talking about you know the probability of right and making those kind of decisions. <laughs> I brought the I brought, sorry I brought the wrong one. I brought the wrong one. Um, well, <laughs> both related. Came, it was it was good though. It was it was a good one. I like that. I like that your uh, you know bonus pod podcast podcast. That your eyes just got wide. I was like that was alarming. I wonder what what happened there. Uh, just quickly before we talk about uh, um, the, the uh, Cam Johnson comment on the probability of things, which I agree with you, right? The probability that picks from OKC or team XY for Mikhail Bridges are ever going to turn into high level value. Lottery projected picks is lower than others. But the one thing that is highly probable is that this team as currently constituted 
is not going to win anything. Right. So I think you you also have to be weighing like the own probability of your organizational and team success as currently constituted relative to taking depreciated first round assets versus high leverage ones, et cetera. I think it all goes into that bag. And I'm sure I'm sure that well, hopefully the organization is doing that. Um, the media can't protect Cam Johnson forever. Well, yeah, he hasn't been protected from us because we we again believed in him in the trade, thought the contract was fine. It's, you know, the money and there's bonuses that he'll never probably get to. It's all good. But we've already said going back a month now, maybe more than that, Cameron Johnson is just like kind of a nice player, kind of fits on a team, and that's kind of what he is. And and that's another reason why you could argue that maybe that like a little bit of a misstep here and not making different decisions leading up to this because you are left with clearly, if you told me that he was coming off the bench for the Brooklyn Nets right now, that wouldn't even seem egregious on this currently constituted roster. I don't know if he's deserving of being one of the cemented starters for this team. He probably is not. Yeah, we don't talk about him because there's nothing to talk about. It's just not, it's not <laughs> yeah, horrendous right. and it's not, it, there's not horrendous and it's not good. Just yep. a guy. Like just when it comes to NBA basketball, just a guy. Seems like an incredibly nice guy. I'm really rooting for him. Um, Seems like a great dude to have like as part of your organization, 100%. Like really thoughtful, thinks about basketball a ton. Like yeah. you, the old man in the three p- episode with him was amazing. Like he's just a really, really thoughtful dude. We don't talk about him because it's just like, not a ton to love and there's not a ton to hate. It's just kind of like, I don't know. He got, he got a lot of money and it's been about what we should have predicted. It would be about that. <laughs> right. Like, no, it's been about that. Uh, jo- Jonathan here with, okay, you can hold my question for the next show. I saw your question, Johnny, but we actually are going to, no, no, I, to I wrote it. I, sorry. I wrote to him in chat. I wrote to, I said, we're going to, I said, I, I tried to write, I tried, I wrote to him above it. I said, we're going to talk about this exact question for the next show. That's why I didn't bring it. Oh, up. there it is. Uh, okay. He was, perfect. There you go. But so, you but he was asking about, me. he was asking about DeJounte Murray and some other, and some like Dean Wade's kind of calves um, stuff. And DeJounte Murray is like legit what we're doing for the next episode. So yep. that's the only reason I was, we weren't avoiding that one. I just didn't want to get into that co- that topic. We didn't want to get into the topic here because it's like the title of our next episode. And frankly, John, stay out of our pre-show meeting. Okay. Like we, we put together carefully crafted content, you know, stay out of there. No, I really appreciate it. Anybody else we want to get to here before we wrap it up? Um, probably, but I think we need to probably, uh, wrap this up here. Um, back in uh, next week, right? Yeah, we'll we'll be back next week. Um, we might do a bonus one over the weekend, depending on where the Dejounte Murray stuff. Like, if if there's any real um, fire to that smoke, I don't think there is, but I think it's an interesting spot to like sort of look at where the team is going because if because Jake Fisher reported about Dejounte Murray, so I we, we do want to talk about that, but that's really just like a whole podcast episode. The Nets play again on Monday, so get ready. We'll probably do the Dejounte Murray stuff for Monday's episode. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe over on YouTube. Much appreciate everyone that jumped in here at YouTube Live. Want to try to get to every question, but just there's a ton here and we do have some time limits. So uh, make sure you subscribe. Uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast as well. Speaking of smoke, love is a smoke made with the fume of size. Why, that's Bill Shakespeare. Oh, one of the all time great collection of writers that all made up the one guy that was named Bill, uh, William Shakespeare. One of the all time great work. Did a great job. <laughs> Conspiracy. One of the all-time great posts. We'll be back again uh, Monday talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball.